0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to you, moms. I am super glad that you are here with us today, and we need your help. Today, we are in the middle of a very big series in the life of our church. We're talking about a a series called Salt and Light, and we're looking at something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, and he said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. So we're trying to figure out what does that look like for us? How does God want us to be salt and light in our current world? And as we do that, we're looking at some very big issues facing our world. So two weeks ago, we looked at the issue of human slavery and human trafficking. We were trying to answer the question, what does God want us to do? What part does he want us to play to be salt and light in a unjust world? Then last week, we tried to answer the question, what does it look like for us to be salt and light in a sexually diverse world? And I hope that that message gave you some handles on how to do that. Next week, we're going to talk about living as salt and light in a racially tense world. And uh, we're working on a special message for that. So I hope you'll come back for that. But today, moms, We are talking about how to live in a politically divided world. Moms, aren't you so glad that you got got your family together and said, I really want you to go to church today. It'll be great. They won't talk about politics. I'm confident they won't talk about politics at church on Mother's Day. So here's what we know, moms. You are the masters of bringing peace and harmony to broken relationships. And you are the glue that holds most relationships together. So we're trying to glean from you today. We're trying to learn from you. And I actually need your help during the message. So during the message, uh, if you notice somebody getting like bothered by our conversation of politics, um, if you notice a vein popping out of their head, you know, maybe their neck, like they're, you know, just getting a little frustrated, I want you to lean up, just pat them on the back and say... It'll be okay. I'm right next to you. Okay, so moms, if you would just exude your motherly presence, (laughs) uh, I really think that would help us today. Uh, Another thing I want to ask of everybody is that we listen for God's truth on this subject, not your version of God's truth that we like to try to fit into our political viewpoint. Like, we need to understand God's truth here. Okay. This is going to be surprising. God is not a Republican. God is not a Democrat. He's an independent. That was one of my really bad jokes that went over about as good in the first service. So the whole point is God doesn't have a political party. Okay, so God doesn't have a political party. We need to hear from him and his truth on this subject and not try to fit God's truth into our little perspective. So listen for God's truth here. Now, this next thing I'm gonna ask you is really weird. Um, I have pastor friends who pastor churches of one primary political party. I have pastor friends that pastor Democrat churches and I have pastor friends who pastor Republican churches. And when they speak to their congregation, it's more like a campaign rally than it is you know, a, a discussion and a digging through of these subjects. So our church is not like that. And I'm grateful for that. We have a great mixture of political opinions and political viewpoints. So what I'm asking, weird request, from a pastor. But I'm asking you not to applaud. We're not really an amen church, but I'm asking you not to say amen. If I say something that sounds like it backs up your political viewpoint, I'm asking you to be quiet in that moment. And the reason is you may get excited. Oh, like he believes the way I believe. And the person sitting next to you is going to go, well, I don't believe that. Like, I don't think that. So strange request, I know. Um, but uh, that's what I asked. Let's just kind of hold our enthusiasm. Here's the cool thing. I've been working on this message all week, and there's nothing in it worth applauding. Like, just nothing. So if you want to laugh, that's okay. Laughter's fine in a, a church service. I hope that you'll do that. It actually makes me know that you're with me. It's kind of exciting. Um, but there's you know, nothing all that special about this message. So our political viewpoints... And our strong political opinions cause us to say and do some really interesting things. During this last presidential election, I heard members of both primary parties say something like this, if he gets elected or she gets elected, I'm moving out of the country. Anybody else hear that? Or see that on social media or something. I, I, I've, I've seen that. And, you know, it's so interesting. Our, our strong political beliefs cause us to entertain the thought of leaving this amazing country. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, maybe that would work. I think, you know, like if, you know, the Republicans moved out for four years and then the Democrats moved out for four years, maybe we could get along. Like maybe, just maybe that might be possible. Uh, But I don't think that's what God had in mind when he came up with this idea that we need to be salt and light in a politically divided world. So we have to ask, God, what do you have in mind? How do you want us to engage uh, a, a world that is so divided politically? So as we're trying to answer that question this morning, I want us to consider the landscape that Jesus stepped into when he stepped on the planet I wants to look at the political landscape for, for just a moment. Sometimes, when we think about Jesus and him coming to planet Earth, sometimes we have this kind of fantasy that, that he really didn't face intense persecution until his death. But that's not the case. Jesus stepped into a very violent world that was extreme with political division. And when Jesus stepped into the, the Jewish nation as a, as a race, he stepped into a, a nationality, he stepped into a people that had lived under the crushing political power of the Egyptians, of the Babylonians, of the Persians, of the Greeks, and then the Romans, And so when Jesus came along, the Jews were so ready to be free from all that oppression, free from all that political division that they were living under on a regular basis. They wanted to be free of that. So when Jesus came along, they saw some hope and their hope was tied to he just might be our king, our earthly king. And that's what they tried to force him into. And as we learned in our Easter message, Jesus didn't come to live up to their political expectations. Jesus came to exceed those expectations. Jesus didn't come to be their earthly king. He came to be their eternal king, our eternal king. He came to bring a peace that we could know today that would live for all of eternity. And he came to encourage us to live that peace every day in the context of a politically divided world. We saw that in how Jesus lived We saw that in how he taught his disciples to live. And we even saw that in who Jesus selected to be his closest followers. So I want us to explore that for just a minute. Uh, You would think as Jesus came to planet Earth, being God in the flesh, he would have scoured the earth looking for the most religious people he could find to be his closest followers. Jesus didn't do that. He went after some very unqualified and ungodly people to be his followers. Matthew chapter 10, verse two, gives us one of the lists of Jesus' closest disciples. And that verse says this. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, James' brother. Philip, Bartholomew, and Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now, it's a very interesting group of people that Jesus surrounded himself, uh, his closest followers, that he wanted them to help him transform the world. Now, this list of disciples here gives us uh, two interesting things about two of the disciples. It tells us one of the disciples' jobs and one of the disciples' political affiliations. So it says that Matthew's a tax collector and Simon was a zealot. Now, let me explain what that looked like. So we'll start with a zealot. So Simon, being a zealot, he was a part of a group that was like an extreme political Jewish religious party. Uh, but it was like more than that. Um, the zealots hated the oppression that they lived under. They hated it so much, they were willing to engage acts of violence to overthrow the Romans. And to a Roman, when they came across a zealot, they viewed zealots as terrorists. A zealot was somebody who would come in and, and kill you at any chance that, that, that they could to gain their freedom. So a Roman would rather have a zealot killed than anything else. And for a zealot, they refused to pay taxes to the Romans because they viewed it as an act of blasphemy against their God. And guess who they hated more than the Romans? They hated tax collectors. They hated Jewish tax collectors. So here's how that worked in that day. So Romans came along, they set the oppression, um, they set the standard for taxes that needed to be collected and Jews could be tax collectors. And all they had to do was they had to give to the Romans the amount that the Romans required. They could charge anything above that they wanted and they had the Roman military at their back. So the Jews viewed Jewish tax collectors as traitors, They were getting rich off of the oppression of their own people. So after inviting Simon to be a part of that inner circle for Jesus, who do you think Jesus added next? Matthew, the tax collector. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth try to put yourself in Simon's sandals. Okay, so you're a zealot. You're passionate about the freedom for your people. You're willing to, to commit murder if necessary. And you're watching Jesus walk up to Matthew and you might think, this is it. Jesus is gonna let him have it. Like, go Jesus, go. Like, I hope you just, we all hate you. We hate you, Matthew, the tax collector. And then Jesus says, hey, Matthew, why don't you follow me and be my disciple? Have you met Simon? (laughs) Let me tell you what that might have been like for us today. Might have been like Jesus walking up to Hillary Clinton. And then Jesus walking up to Donald Trump and saying, I'm inviting you into my inner circle that I'm going to transform the world with. I think it was a little bit more extreme than that, but that kind of gives us a little bit of context of of what that was like for Simon and for Matthew. So again, if you're Simon, if you're in Simon's sandals and you're walking up watching this, what are you thinking? Like, what are you thinking about Jesus? What are you thinking about Matthew? I think Simon thought Jesus had lost his mind. And I'm pretty sure Simon said, there's nothing you can ever do, Matthew, that will make me love you. You're a traitor. And yet I also wonder if Simon thought back to the very first message that he heard Jesus preach. Matthew chapter five, verse one. It says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Then he taught them about being persecuted. He taught them about how to live as salt. And light, That's where we get this passage from. He talked about how to handle anger and reconciliation. He talked about God's perspective on adultery and divorce. And then in verse 43, Jesus said this like amazing statement in this next passage here. Verse 43 said, you heard, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And all of the Jews listening would have said, yeah, that's how we live. There's actually a law that they live by. We love people who love us and we hate people who hate us. And then Jesus said in verse 44, he says, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So again, put yourself in that spot. What are you thinking if you're Simon? What are you thinking if you're the Jews? What are you thinking when Jesus comes along and says this radically different thing? I'm not calling you to attack our world. Draw your sword and go out and fight. I'm not calling you to withdraw from our world. I'm calling you to engage our world with love and prayer. Here's where the rubber meets the road for our politics and our faith. Again, Jesus said, love and pray. So, how are you doing? at loving your political opponents. We may not call them enemies, maybe you do, but we often think of them in in opposition context. But but how are you doing at loving people who vote differently than you, think differently than you? And maybe they're very passionate about that. When you are driving 95 miles an hour down I-95, And you see another car with that bumper sticker? You know, the other candidate, the other party? Do you like swerve at them? (laughs) Like, hope you get stuck on the side of the road? Or do you pray for them? Do you spend time praying for them? Do you love your political opponents? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, here's how we can be salt and light. It's about demonstrating love. And it's about prayer. Then the Apostle Paul follows that up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Um, He says this about politics and our allegiance. It says, above all, as in one of the most important things that you can do, one of the most important things you can do as followers of Jesus, is you must live as citizens of heaven. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So if you're a Christ follower, do you live as a citizen of heaven? Do you recognize that? Do you understand that? And do you engage politics living in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ? Paul continues and says, then whether I come and see you again or I only hear about you, I will know that you are, and I need your help, what are the next two words? Standing together. I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for what? The faith. Paul doesn't say we're fighting for our political viewpoint. He says we're fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So Paul says our political allegiance should be to God more than our country, more than our political viewpoint. But sadly, sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes we hold more tightly to our politics than our faith. Sometimes we are so quick to share our political opinion and yet we're so slow to share the eternal hope that we have in Christ and dare I say there's even moments when we look at someone, a political opponent, and we, we have this, this perspective like, like we're ready to write them off and you know what? It doesn't even matter that much if they spend eternally in hell. I don't think there's anything that breaks God's heart more than when his followers hold more tightly to their politics than our faith. Now, Am I saying that Christians should not be involved in politics? I am not. I'm not saying that. I think we should be involved in politics. I think we should engage every political right and and process that we have. We have big issues that we need to talk about. There are real things that need to be decided. And I think we need to engage that conversation, not withdraw from it. And I think Christ followers should vote their biblical values. And I'm pretty passionate about that. And I even think Christ followers should run for political office. Now, some of us are uncomfortable with that. And we're uncomfortable with it because of this this idea of separation of church and state. Yeah, I don't think that we fully understand where that came from and, and what that's about. So answer this question for me. Would our world be a better place or a worse place if we followed God's instructions? Better. Better. Um, I think it'd be a better place. Would our world be a better place or a worse place if we loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Would it be a better place if we loved people the way that that Jesus instructs us to love people? Would our world be a better place if we fought for justice for everyone in every situation, if we saw unborn babies as individuals with the right to life, if we fought for equal rights for women and minorities, if we honored marriage and did everything we can to strengthen the marriages in our world, if we protected orphans, the fatherless, defended widows, would our world be a better place or a worse place? I think it'd be a better place. I think the world would be a much better place if we put God first, especially in our politics. So I think Christ followers should engage politics. But as we do that, I think we need to remember we are citizens of heaven more than citizens of earth and we represent God to our world. That's where we struggle. That's where I struggle as a Christ follower. You know, representing God to our world is a hard thing for for Christ's followers. And it's been a hard thing for Christ's followers for a very long time, even back in Jesus' day. After Jesus' resurrection, there were a group of his followers that got into this spiritual debate about which spiritual gifts were more important than the others. Almost became like a little political thing. And so the apostle Paul stepped in to address that issue. So I'd like you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and listen to it in the context of how we can be salt and light in a politically divided world, okay? Verse one says, if I could unite all the people of the world and even the angels and demons, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy ambassador from the United Nations. This is my political paraphrase, okay? So bear with me for just a minute. Verse two, if I had the gift of political prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans for issues like immigration and abortion and taxes and gender issues and national security, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains like getting Democrats and Republicans to understand that we're actually one nation under God, if I could do all that, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor, And let all political protesters who live in tents within cities, if I let them live in my house, but I didn't love them, I would have gained nothing. Now, verse four, I'm going to stop paraphrasing, okay? Verse four, Paul says, Love is patient and kind. The greatest representation of God to the world is his followers loving the world how we treat the world. So let me ask, are you patient? Are you kind when it comes to politics? Are you loving to your political opponents? That verse continues and says, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Can you imagine if we, as Christ's followers, lived those verses, especially when it comes to politics? Can you imagine what our world would be like if if Christians uh, who claim to be Democrat, Christians who claim to be Republicans, Christians who claim to be independent, Christians who say, I have no political party, if we would actually live these verses, if we understood that, that we represent God to the world, we are citizens of heaven more than we are citizens of earth, and if we engaged meaningful political conversations and we did it in a way that was honoring was patient, was kind, was loving, and we ended every political conversation with a demonstration of God's love for that person, can you imagine how different our world would be? I think it might be a little bit more like the world that God intended us to live in. But how do we get there? 1 Timothy chapter 2, I think, gives us the first thing that we need to do. And uh, this passage, Paul says in verse one, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for who? All. All people, pray for all people, ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So we're supposed to pray for all people, especially those who are in authority. We're supposed to thank God for them. We're supposed to pray intercessory prayers for them. And if you don't know what an intercessory prayer is, it is more than just saying, God, please help this person not screw up our city, screw up our state, or screw up our nation. It's bigger than that. It's about praying deeply for them. It's about thanking God for their lives. It's about praying God's protection for them, praying for wisdom for them praying that they will hear from God and they will have the boldness and confidence to respond to God's instructions. Do you pray intercessory prayers for people? Do Do you pray like that? Learning to be salt and light in a politically divided world is about us praying for unity and then living that unity. That's where the rubber meets the road for us where we actually apply God's truth to our lives and how we live and how we treat people. So here's a suggestion for how we can start to shrink the political divide that's around us. I want you to think of someone that you do not like politically. Okay, so maybe on a local level, state level, national level, think of someone, like a political leader that you don't like. Or uh, maybe it's someone around you. Maybe there's a political divide in your house. Maybe there's a you know, political divide at school or at work. Think about somebody who thinks very differently than you when it comes to politics, or votes very differently than you. I'll give you just a second to think about that. You got him yet? Like, it, yeah, it probably doesn't take a real long, you know. Think about your political opponent. Oh, got him. Okay, so hold on to that person for a moment, their their image, their name. What I challenge you to do this week is pray every day for them. Not superficial prayers. Don't pray, God, I pray that they'll come to their senses and believe the way that I believe. (laughs) Pray intercessory prayers for them. Thank God for them. Pray God's blessings on them, pray God's protection for them, pray God's wisdom in their lives. Pray that God will surround them with people that it will speak truth to them and that they will hear God's truth and they will live that truth. Pray deeply for them this week. And I encourage all of us to pray for ourselves as well. Pray that we will represent God well to the world. Pray that we will remember we're citizens of heaven more than citizens of earth. And we need to hold on to our faith more strongly than we hold on to our politics. And as we engage political conversations, as we engage the political process, that we would remember, again, we are representing God here. So let us do this in a way that brings honor and glory to him. So we're gonna end today in a really fun, awkward way. If, you know, politics hasn't been awkward enough. Today I wanna end by praying for our president. First Timothy 2 says that we should pray for kings, pray for all who are in authority, and I desire for us to be a praying church. And so, again, this is where the rubber meets the road for us, and I understand some of you didn't vote for uh, our president. Some of you did. So whether you did or you didn't, our job as Christ followers is to pray and to do our part to end the political divide that's around us. So how we're going to do this is I'm going to ask you in just a minute to circle up with a few other people around you. And we're just going to have a moment of prayer here in our our church family as we end. So maybe you get with two or three other people around you, um, and you just spend a few minutes praying for our current president. And uh, Let me just say this, like if you're brand new to our church, like very first day you're here and you're coming in going, I hope they don't ask me to do anything weird at church. And here I am. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm glad you're here. And I think it'll be okay. Um, If the thought of praying with people makes you want to pass out or vomit, you can pray by yourself. Okay, you really can. It'll be okay. Um, But I want us to gather and just spend a few minutes just praying as Christ followers, saying, we're citizens of heaven. We represent God to our world. We're applying scripture to our lives. And we're praying for our leader on a national level. So if you would, just uh, spend a few minutes, like circle up with a few other people around you. Say hi to them real quick. Um, No real long introductions, um, but just say hi to them. And then just start praying. And I will close us out today in prayer in just a minute. All right, gang. I hate to uh, cut that time short. But I, I wish you could kind of see you from my perspective. The same experience in the, the first service looking out and watching our church family gather together in prayer. Wow. What do you think God thinks about that? I think he's pretty excited when his people apply scripture and we pray. So, um, if you would, stand with me and let's pray together. Lord, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church family that really wants to learn how to be the church, not just do church. How to apply scripture to our lives. And Lord, here we are living in a very politically divided world. And many of us wonder, like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? And we're grateful for, Jesus, your words in Matthew 5, where you say, be salt, be light. and That means engage. Engage the world. Don't run from the world. Don't attack the world. Don't try to accommodate the world, but engage the world. So as Christ followers... Lord, a couple of the big things that we can do is pray for all people. Pray for people that we consider our political opponents and demonstrate love for everyone the way that that Jesus, you demonstrate love for everyone. So Lord, I pray this week as we go out, um, Lord, when a political conversation comes up, we won't run from it. We won't hide from it. We won't draw our swords and attack that person, but we'll engage the conversation meaningfully. And we will demonstrate 1 Corinthians chapter 13, patience and love and kindness as we engage that. And I pray that we would always end any political interaction with a demonstration of God's love and our love for the people that we're talking to. And Lord, this week, the big challenge for us is to pray. Pray. Pray for our president, pray for somebody that, that we may not agree with politically, and pray for ourselves that we will remember we're citizens of heaven and we represent you to the world. So Lord, we need your help in that, That we pray that you would continue to speak powerfully to us as we go throughout this week and help us to have that perspective that our home is in heaven and we need to care more about our faith than our politics. Help us to live that out and help us to shrink our politically divided world. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. So next week, we're talking about living in a racially tense world. I hope you come back for that. Have a fantastic Mother's Day.